Well, hello. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. I feel this morning that somebody stole something from me. And it was an hour of my sleeping time, you know, like, so I'm uncomfortable. I'm a little moody, you know, if, if you know me. And then my son decides to be awake at night. He was like, yeah, Dad, you preach this morning? I got you. So um, anyways, I'm, I'm not bitter or mad about it. I'm here super joyful. Uh, for the ones who don't know me, my name is Antonio Reyes. I get to ha uh, be part of the pastoral team here in this house and uh, in this community. And this morning, I get the privilege to share this message with you. And we're going to start a new series called Disciple. And what it means to be a disciple. And maybe you find yourself in a place where you need to re-explore this conversation. Perhaps you find yourself in a place where you don't know where you're at necessarily. You're trying to figure things out. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you have some doubts about Jesus and this whole church thing and this whole faith thing. And our hope is that we can actually help you process that and maybe give you some language about what it means to be a disciple. We're going to be looking through the life of Peter, through the lens of the life of Peter, of what it means. And, I, and you know what, the, the funny thing is that Pastor Steve raises some good, some good questions once in a while. I'm like, what do you, I don't know what you're asking me right now. Like, I, I need to process this. Give me a week, you know. But one of the questions that he asks with this series is, when did Jesus, I mean, when did Peter become a disciple? Is this when he interacted with Jesus the first time? Is this when he fed 5,000? Is this is when he saw Lazarus come from the dead? Is, is this when he messed up? When did he become a disciple? And I really, I, I didn't know what to answer really, how to think about that. So today, the whole idea of this conversation is that to be a disciple requires movement. It's not a place where you arrive and you're like, yeah, finally, I have all the data, all the information, all the things that I need. So finally, I'm a disciple. But perhaps it's a journey that requires movement constantly in your life. And today, I want to explore that conversation. And the goal is not, I, well, thankfully, I feel like we find ourselves in a time where we find language to the, probably this, uh, give it language to who the experience that we have in our faith. And the goal is not to label you or label myself, and, but more rather that we can find the language that describes maybe where we are in the stage and the season that we find ourselves today. So today, we will be finding ourselves talking about several uh, terms that if you've been in Discovery, you probably heard these terms before. Maybe this is your first time or second time or you never heard about these terms. You're going to have to be coming back to Discovery so you know what we're talking about, you know. And this is a way to promote our church. So anyways, um, we, we're going to be talking about sojourners, explorers, followers, and guides. And what, a, what does that mean? And, and what does that look like? And, and how, how, do we, how do we make sense of that? And, and what is the next steps probably? Maybe we can actually identify with some of the descriptions. But today, I get to talk about sojourners. You know, sojourners... Um, I identify myself with them because before I, I actually give my life to Jesus, I, I had a lot of questions. And so journalists tend to be not satisfied with the answers. They, they're asking big questions about the meaning of life and what it means to be a human being. They're seeking community and a place to belong. They're seeking pur purpose, but they're yet not investing themselves into Jesus. And maybe you find yourself today in that place. And I'm not trying to answer those questions so 
don't expect that I'm going to answer the question, what it means to be a human. Like, I, I'll let that to the smart people like Pastor Steve to answer those questions, not today. I'm not that smart today, you know. So anyways, but I want to take us into the first interaction that Jesus had with Peter. And what we can actually learn from that moment, from that interaction with Jesus. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 5, if you don't have them, we're going to have them here in the back on the screen. And it starts this way. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and, he, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep waters and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we work hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said so, I will let it down the nets. So they signaled their partners into the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. For now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up from shore, left everything, and followed him. If you don't mind me, I would like to pray before we start this conversation. If you feel comfortable, would you mind closing your eyes for a minute? Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to be in this space today. Help us make sense of this story and what you did with Peter. Maybe we find ourselves identified with the sojourners, asking questions, not be satisfied. Or maybe we have been doing this for quite a bit and we need to re, uh, take into consideration once again what it means to be a disciple of you. Help us bring direction, clarity this morning. In your name, Jesus, I pray. And everybody says, amen. Hey, you know what? One of the things that I become an expert uh, in my life is that I'm an expert at being rejected. That's just what it is. I've been rejected my whole life. You know, I've been rejected in school. I've been rejected in so many things and being an athlete. I've been rejected as a student. I've been rejected by girls. And now, like, I've been rejected by young kids that they don't think I'm cool no more, you know? And I'm getting ready to be rejected by my son telling me that I'm not a cool dad. I'm getting ready for that. Maybe, maybe not. But I'm, uh, to be honest, you know, through my life, there's a story that summarizes how my life has been. You know, the first time I, uh, I went to try out to play soccer, I, I was trying to become a professional soccer player. And I remember I went to my first tryouts that were very, very important. And I remember I show up. It was two days. And let me tell you, look, I'm not confident about a lot of things, but I can tell you that day, it was a really good day. Me and another Canadian dude, we were just killing it outside in the field. We were just doing everything that we could. We knew how to do it, and we just swept everyone. And I remember one of the, the, the people from the team came and asked my name, and I was like, yes, I'm staying. I'm staying. This is, this is no better way. I, I, just, I know I'm doing well today. And I remember the scout called us out. He sits everyone down, and he starts selecting, you're going to stay you're going to stay, come back. And I'm like, I'm next. 
And he points out at me. He looks on my eyes and he's like, that's it. I was like, are you serious? Literally. I was one step almost there. Almost there. And he's like, come back next time. I was like, ah, oh, so close. You know, I always feel like, once again, I always feel underestimated by everyone because I, I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm always, almost talented but not that talented. You almost got it, but you don't got it completely. And I always feel underestimated by people. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know what is the feeling of Peter in his life at this point, but this is something that we know of people under his profession as a fisherman, is that they're, they're, they never achieve the possibilities to even be considered a disciple of a rabbi. The people like Jesus don't go to these places and with fishermen looking for disciples. This is not what they do because fishermen didn't have the qualities, didn't have the knowledge. They always look down on them. So being disciple, like, I don't think so, Peter. That's not for you. But the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus changes the narrative. The narrative that God is looking for a certain type of skill, for a certain type of people with a certain type of knowledge, that look a certain way, that speak a certain way. Jesus gets rid of this narrative by interacting with someone like Peter. See, notice that Jesus is the one who actually approaches Peter. He's the one who opens the space. He goes to his habitat. He goes and interacts with him. Fishermen's washing their nets. There's something about Peter. Jesus is Peter. He does not get lost in the crowd. You know, one of the interesting things about living in L.A. is that L.A. is kind of well known by the epicenter of creativity. But all the talented people that want to be actors and actresses and singers, rappers, Whatever it is, they go to L.A. But they're not from L.A. They're from all the places of the country. From Mississippi, from, you know, the Bible Belt, somewhere else, not L.A. And they were probably the smartest, I mean, the talented kids of their, of their school, of whatever they were at, of their town. But once they go to L.A., they're average. Because everybody's talented in that city. Everybody has something to offer, and they get lost in the crowd. They get lost in the amount of people that are talented. And I don't feel like David's so, so different when it comes to doing your career. Maybe you were the smartest person in your family, in your school, in your town, and all of a sudden you show up to UC Davis or Davis in general, and everybody's smart. And everybody has a drive to achieve something. And everybody wants to do something. And everybody works hard. And all of a sudden, you become lost in the crowd. And you are one more of everyone else. But to Jesus, you're not one more in the crowd. He pays attention to you. He pays attention to me. He looks at me and to you. He's the one who goes to Peter. See, this is, this is so important, family. Because he's the one who begins the interaction. He's the one who creates the space. This is, this is not Peter's idea. Peter, Peter didn't go to an interview to see if he was capable to be a disciple. He didn't go to a cast to see if he can get higher. He didn't go try out to see if Jesus, you know, Jesus, can you get me? It was never Peter's idea. The conversations start by Jesus. He's the one who creates the relationship. He's the one who takes the shot. He's the one who takes the risk. With Peter. 
And if I was around, I would be like, Jesus, really? Peter? Ah, character issues, impulsive, brings more issues than actually solutions. Like, really, Jesus? From all the people that you could have choose? And I know that he would probably answer, I know. I know. I know Peter. But why is this good news, family, to us? Because this takes the responsibility from you and from me to have to perform so Jesus can keep us around. We live in a culture that we have the tendency to perform all the time. We've built this facade where we don't have to really deal with the important things in our life as long as I can perform my way up. See, if I, as long as I can show to people that I can pretend to be good, I'm okay, I don't need help, I have everything under control, I'm smart enough, I listen to 20 podcasts about trauma, so I, don't, I know the information. You don't have to help me. I can pretend my way up. I can perform this thing. But with Jesus, you don't have to perform because it's not your idea to sustain the relationship and to sustain what he wants to entrust you with. You don't have to perform. All you have to do is to respond to his invitation. You don't have to sound a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to pretend you and I can rest in the truth that it was never our idea. We all have to do is respond to the invitation. Now, most of us probably will miss this opportunity. And not because the offer of Jesus is not attractive. But because it requires from us to get our, out of our familiar places. You know, I've been trying to pay attention to people that I respect that speak into my life, and they've been telling me to write a little bit more, to, to invest my time to write a little bit more. I'm like, okay, okay, I don't know, I'm not a writer. I don't even know how to spell, you know, like in English or Spanish, so both are messed up, you know. So, so I'm trying to pay attention, you know, but people that I respect telling me, you need to write more because maybe this is something that you can nurture. I'm like, okay. So I, a couple of days ago, I, I decided to write about familiarity. I was reading C.S. Lewis. He calls, he has this term called the veil of familiarity. And I decided to write this. This is for my heart. This is for me. This is not for you. This is just sharing with, I believe God was speaking to me. Familiarity is dangerous to what you love. It tends to tuck away what was once fresh, warm, alive, and full of wonder behind the veil where you forgot completely all that once was there. If there's a strategy of the enemy of our souls, it will be that he just doesn't have to work hard. He just has to lead us to familiarity. Where everything that had color turns black and white. Everything that had taste loses its flavor. Everything that was vibrant feels dead. Everything that was thrilling loses its passion. And everything that shines fades away. The interesting thing is that it's never removed. It's just only behind the veil of familiarity. If I could summarize the message of Jesus and his desire is to remove the veil that has stole our sense of wonder and for there to be an opportunity to see the reality of the kingdom of endless possibilities. <laughs> Family, let me, let me tell you this again. Many of us will miss the opportunity of participating of this invitation, not because 
We don't have what it takes. But because it requires from us to move from our familiar places and from our comfort zone. See, in verse 4 and 5, Jesus asked Peter to do something. He's like, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep waters and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answers, Master, we work hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you said so, I will lay down the nets. The request is ridiculous, family, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. Jesus, Peter, know, he knows what to do. If someone knows what to do, it's, it's, it's Peter. He knows that the weather. He, he, he has that intuition. He knows the time where he can catch a fish. He knows how the water should move. I don't know. Like, I'm not a fisherman, obviously. But what I'm saying is Peter knows. Really, Jesus. But look, Peter responds to this. It's not the same way probably I would respond. Nah, Jesus, I already tried that. Eh, I don't want to do it. You know, most of the people that I had the opportunity to mentor didn't get to experience this invitation, not because they didn't practice all the requirements that I've given, but because many times it was so simple that they felt offended by their requests. Like, ah, I already tried that. What are you talking about? That is, that's easy. That's insignificant. But Peter, to Peter's credit, he didn't take this that way. He actually decides to pay attention to what this random rabbi dude is asking him to do. And notice something very interesting. And here I'm just wondering if you have any, any issue with this, talk to Pastor Steve. He is the one who hired me. Just, yes. Jesus goes, Jesus goes after the thing that I believe is consuming Peter's heart and Peter's mind. The fish. Hear me out. This is his income family. This is how he provides for his family. That's how he builds something to give it to his family. And all of a sudden, the night that he's actually working, nothing happens. I'll tell you this. If you're working hard and if you live week by week, month by month, day by day, moments like this will frustrate you, let me tell you. So I believe maybe Peter was already frustrated by the experience. Peter was already irritated by the lack of success. Maybe he was even questioning his own ability as a fisherman. Do I know how to do this? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he's like, let's try it once again. Let's do this once again. And I believe Jesus goes after the thing that is consuming his heart and his mind. Because it matters to him. Because he's not inviting you into a cult He's not inviting you into only changing your behavior. He's not inviting you only to become a good person. He's after your heart. And Peter takes the risk, and this opens up to endless possibilities, family. See, we notice in, verse, in the next verses, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets Begin to break. Hear me out. Jesus provides a miracle. and He provides a fish. Cool. But can I just tell you something? I don't even think it's about the fish. I don't think it's even about the fish. All of a sudden, look to Peter's reaction. All of a sudden, he becomes 
open to a different reality to who Jesus is and to who he is. All of a sudden, he becomes aware of something that didn't bother him before, but it was there all the time. All of a sudden, he becomes attentive into his own mess as well as to the sacredness of the one in front of him. I don't think it's about the fish. I think Jesus is trying to have a different conversation with Peter. I don't know why this example has been in my mind since Monday that we were having a conversation in our neighborhood community group, but I'm going to share with you. I've been in counseling for about nine years personally and with my wife together. And it's been a journey. But one of the things about counseling is uh, every time that my wife is obviously bothered with me, she has an issue, like, or myself, you know, like I have an issue the way she's doing things, you know, and I go to my counselor, like that's what they do, you know, can you fix this issue? Because that's what they do, right? That's what we think they do. And can I tell you this, the 99% of the time, we not end up talking about the issue. And she's not trying to avoid the, the, the conversation. It's not that she's trying to avoid what I'm trying to ask. But the thing is that the issue is not the real issue. Does that make sense? That the issue is not the real issue. All of a sudden she starts having a different conversation about me and about my wife. That she starts unlocking something else about who I am and a different type of issues. She starts to become, she makes me aware of things that I didn't pay attention before and I was not attentive before. And she tells me, we will fix that problem. But let's have this conversation because this needs to happen. It's a different conversation, but let's have this conversation first. See, notice that, that, that Jesus does not engage in the feelings of Peter, but he tells him, I know you feel that way, but let me ask you something. Come with me. Let me extend an invitation to you. I know you want to have a conversation about your shame, about how you feel. I get it. But come with me. Peter, Peter, I know you're a fisherman. I know you have a job. I know you're really good at what you do. I know you have the intuition. I know you have the skills. I know you, this just comes natural out of you. I understand you have a profession. But Peter, can I give you purpose in life? Can I give you purpose? See, family, for decades, Christianity has become a faith that domesticates people. That is predictable. We have diminished the message of Jesus to only rules. And there's no room for imagination, for wonder, for astonishment, for mystery, for curiosity. See, in my 20s, I thought I was very smart, and I thought I knew everything that I need to know about church and faith. And I, 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 was, I thought I was very smart. And, and it's like Jesus keeps removing the ceiling. Like you thought this is all you can do. You think this is all you can see. Antonio, you think this is all you can become. Come with me. I'm going to open your life to new opportunities and endless possibilities. See, family, it's... The invitation to become a disciple is not this idea of, of learning the right things to say, the right things to, to, to learn, the theology. I get it. I, I went to school for it. But I, I have come to arrive to this place that that's not the main goal. It's like Jesus knows how to engage with the greatness of my soul, and he knows how to call that out out of me. 
that he knows how to engage with that part of me, that part that I don't know how to engage myself, that I'm insecure about, that I'm not confident enough. And he knows how to call that out of me. Peter, come. Let me invite you into this journey of life. Well, will you experience things that you would never imagine? You will experience things that you, would, you don't have yet the capacity to understand. You will, you will see things that will take you your whole life to make sense of this. Come, Peter. And I'm going to ask the band to come with me as we close this conversation. But family, this is the invitation of Jesus. This is the invitation of Jesus. It was never our idea. It's his idea. And you might feel overlooked in your life. Maybe you feel you're part of a crowd. You get lost among everyone. Maybe you feel disconnected. You don't feel like you belong. I don't know, I don't know what the question says. Maybe you feel stuck for years, months. You don't know what's next. But my request to you this morning, family, as a discovery community, is that there's movement in this relationship with Jesus to become a disciple. That there's an opportunity for a new dynamic, for a new way of seeing life, for a new way to see the creator and the, and the divine. And what you do, and how can you participate in what he's actually orchestrating around in humanity. Peter, let me take you into this journey. Let me take you into this amazing exploration, Peter. Let me take you into this odyssey. Peter, let me take you into this sojourn. Peter, come. I don't know, Jesus, I just don't have what it takes. Come. Family, I, if, I'm, if I'm completely transparent with you, Notice, Jesus does not answer all the questions that Peter has. Jesus does not download all the theology that Peter needs to know. Jesus does not change his character on the spot. Jesus does not remove his impulsivity. He does not do none of those things. All Peter has to do is respond to the invitation. For years... This has been a journey in my own life, the feed, feeling not capable to do what I do. And this is one of the things I have told you and tell many people, you know. I don't think that my life and where I'm doing now and what I have been able to experience, it's just beyond my, my capacity. I, can, I, I cannot create what I have been able to do. And I can tell you there's 10, 15, 20 people more talented than me better communicators, better pastors, better ministers, better people at what they do, better skills than myself. But I can tell you a difference between them and me. Journey with Jesus, not knowing what, what I was doing. All I knew is that this faith required the best in everything of me. What that meant, I don't know. What that looked like, I'm not quite sure. But I just have this sense that my creator was trustworthy of my life. 
And whatever we were going to go, whatever he was going to lead me into, I knew I was going to be okay with him. And if there's anything that I have learned from this journey, and the only thing that I have offered to Jesus in this my whole life, and sometimes I'm like, God, I really don't have anything to offer or anything to bring to the table, only my yes to you. Antonio, let's leave your country and take you into a different country where you don't know the language. Okay? Antonio, let's go to a different city, a wild city like L.A., and we're going to prepare you. I'm going to nurture you there. Okay, Jesus. Antonio, I need you to go back to Northern California, and I'm going to put you in a space where you're going to be in front of very smart people, and you're going to walk with them, and you're going to communicate in a language that is not yours. Okay? That's all I have. My yes. And let me tell you, it has been a wild ride. But I would not change it for anything. So I'll tell you this morning, this is the invitation from Jesus to you. Come out of your familiar place. Come out of your comfort zone and allow him to shape you, change you, raise the ceiling, change your imagination and give you a sense of wonder in your life. That is my prayer for you this morning. And as, as we go into communion, the moment that we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, my desire is that you can have a moment, you can have a conversation and you bring all everything that you have, all the questions, all the doubts, all the pain, and tell Jesus, this is all I have. Can you do something with this? We're going to have people praying. If you feel comfortable coming to the people, they're going to be here in the sides. Please, I encourage you. Do it. Don't shy away from it. Let other people speak into your soul. So we're going to take this moment. As when you feel comfortable, you can come forward. And grab the little cup and everything and have this moment between you and Jesus. Okay?